Welcome, everyone. Pastor Allen, glad that you're here. I um, want to add a couple things to the announcements. <laughs> One, we, we are starting the pavilion, if you hadn't noticed, and it's up on the hill here. Uh, we dug, uh, how many footers? <laughs> 12 out of 7, no, 14, we have 5, 9. Is that right? Somebody had it. Yeah, I think we dug 9 out of, out of 14. And so we did this this past yesterday morning. So if you're available this Saturday morning at 8, uh, we'll try and finish the other others and then uh, proceed with the pavilion. The other two things, um, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a membership class and also a baptismal service. So if you are wanting to be baptized or take the membership class, we've got about eight or nine people to already want to take the membership class, two or three people to baptize. Uh, put on your Connect card, right? All right. Okay, so we're in a series called 90. We're counting down to Easter um, in the life of Christ. And we only got three weeks left, right? <clears throat> Easter's coming up. And uh, so the title of this uh, teaching today is The One Commandment. It got me thinking, and my sister's here. She can verify this. Uh, when, you're, when you're growing up, your parents have rules, right? All kinds of rules about this and about that. I don't know about your house, but our house, there was one biggie. There was one rule that was more important than all the other rules. And in our house, it was, do not lie to me. <laughs> that was it. You know? And I can understand that. Dishonor somebody to lie to them. It doesn't matter what we did. If we lied, you got, the punishment was twice as bad. Uh, she's nodding her head, okay? <laughs> uh, so we're going to find out what Jesus had. You know, Bible has lots of rules, and Jesus, we're going to see Boil them down to two, and then eventually he's going to come up with that one rule that's most important. He came to replace and give us something better, especially when our, in, in our relationship with God. And we've talked about three, three areas that, that he came to do that. First, a new covenant. That means you're going to connect with God in a different way. You're going to get your sins forgiven. This is going to be once and one time for all. And uh, we're going to talk about that next week, actually. So please be here, and part of that's going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper, because that's when Jesus actually taught this new covenant. Uh, today we're going to talk about the new commandment, and the significant thing about a commandment, who gives commandments? God does, right? So this is radical Jesus saying, I'm going to give you a commandment, and uh, so he's saying, I'm God. And then of course a new movement, which we're all part of, and if you're not part of the church, and not a Jesus follower, we're happy that you're here, and hopefully you'll become one. But this radical movement that changed the world for the last 2,000 years. Now, all through his teaching, we've been through this for a couple weeks, Jesus would give hints about this new thing, how it's going to be different. He said, ah, oh, you heard it said this way. Oh, I tell you, it's going to be this way. And it wasn't easier, it was harder, more radical. He said, you heard it's been said this. Well, no, it's going to be, going to be this way. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the temple, which was the place where you went to meet God in, in Judaism 2,000 years ago. And Jesus said, no, no, we're going to do away with the temple. Well, that was heretical. Uh, you can't do away with the temple. That's the most important thing, connect with God. And he said, no, 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 you all are going to be temples. You're going to take the temple, God, with you. Then last week, we talked about leadership. If you want to be great, you want to be first, the way to do that is to be last or be at the end of the line is to serve people. And so that was radical. And the interesting thing with Jesus' encounter with people, that we find out reading the New Testament, is that the people that had the holiest hearts seemed to be the dirtiest people, meaning tax collectors and sinners and, 
and prostitutes and these people turned out seemed to have holier hearts than the religious people and sought, sought after God when uh, on the outside uh, they were quote unquote the dirtiest. Now consequently when you come to, to overturn something, when you come to start something new, there's going to be conflict with the old because the old doesn't want to give up, correct? And so we've been talking about that conflict and we're going to see it specifically today. Now we're eventually going to get to the Passover, and I need to talk about the Passover a little bit. Um, then we're going to do some lead, leading up to it. The, we can't comprehend the Passover in our cu- culture. Now, let me try and explain. So it's the biggest religious holiday in Judaism. So it would be like Easter, right? That's our biggest religious holiday. It was the biggest holiday period. So our biggest holiday is what? Probably Christmas, right? And then it centers on a meal. So what holiday do we have centers on a meal? Thanksgiving, right? Plus it's not one day. It's a whole week. So Passover is kind of like this. Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and vacation all boiled into one. All right? Kind of get the idea? This is like what you look forward to all year long in lots of different uh, respects. So we're going to start with a couple background verses to kind of lead us into where Jesus has this conflict with the religious leaders, and then eventually we're going to get to this new commandment. So these first couple verses aren't even on the outline. didn't have room for them. Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees, uh, this is after Jesus raised Lazarus, we talked about that, publicly ordered anyone seeing Jesus, must report it immediately so they could arrest him. So, if you're a Jew, you're ordered to report this Jesus guy if you, if you see him. Um, of course, their goal was to arrest him. Now, the thing was, Jesus wasn't hard to find. He was just hard to find without a crowd. Because with the crowd, you couldn't arrest him or you get in trouble. So the religious leaders were trying to find Jesus when he wasn't with a crowd. So then the next, moving on, the next day, we talked about last week, he kind of left Jerusalem for a while. The next day, news spread around on the way, he was on the way to Jerusalem, swept through the city. So all this excitement about Jesus, and we think about it on Palm Sunday. And all the hosannas outside the walls, inside the walls of Jerusalem. This was, this was a big day. Jesus was at the top of his popularity. It's really ironic because before the week was over, of course, they crucified him. And he came to do something, not for himself, but for you and for me and for everyone else. Because he came to die. Um, and so, as we get to the end, this part of the story, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, decides to betray him. Now, we don't know exactly why. Maybe he was just tired of waiting. Come on, it's time to start this Messiah, millennial reign type thing. Maybe it was because uh, he didn't like this idea that Jesus dying and, and rising from the dead. We just don't know. But Judas betrays him at, at, at this point. So in Luke 22, it says this. So he, Judas, agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the, what? Crowds weren't around because that was important. And we'll get to that maybe in two weeks, but were they successful? Was Judas successful? They were successful in arresting. Were they successful in accomplishing their goal? No, of course, the church, and we wouldn't be here today if they were successful. See, the thing with Jesus was different than most of us He didn't cling to life. He came with a single purpose to die on a cross for you and for me. 
and for all mankind. And so nothing was going to distract him from that. So we're going to see that there's two big religious groups that were quite different that were trying to get rid of Jesus. One were the Pharisees and one of the Sadducees. And we're going to see there's a big religious difference. So they didn't get along, but the enemy of my enemy is what? Is your friend. So they're, they're getting along. In this story we're going to see, they, uh, they're going to cooperate. They're going to work together to try and trap Jesus. So this is in Matthew 22, and I believe this is on your outline. <clears throat> the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something which he could be arrested. So the Pharisees get the first shot at him, all right? But the, the, the leaders didn't go. The next verse tells us that some of the disciples went. Uh, Pharisees' disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to meet with him, meaning Jesus. They said, Teacher, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play, play favorites. So he's, they're building him up. Say, Oh, you, you're, you're great, Jesus. We love you. Uh, we, we, we come. And of course, he knew they were trying to deceive him, trying to trap him. And they gave him this question about taxes. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus can't be tricked, so he says, whatever's on the coin, you give the coin to whoever deserves it, you give God what he deserves, and so, complete failure. They didn't trap Jesus, they didn't get people to turn against him, they couldn't arrest him for his response. So, they didn't succeed, so the Sadducees say, hey, let us take a turn. (laughs) It's our turn. Um, And so, we skip down a couple verses, 23, and it says this. The same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, Religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. And the old joke is, that's why sad you see is because they don't believe in resurrection. That's why you can remember it. Uh, they pose this question. And when we hear the question, it, it's, it's ironic, it's almost silly, because remember, they don't believe in a resurrection, right? Teacher, Moses said, of course, everything was about Moses. If a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who would carry on the brother's name. Now, that's a little weird to us, but it was part of their culture, and it was their welfare system. Because if you're a widow, you basically had no support, and uh, it was very, would be very difficult for you. So this was built into the law, and having uh, an heir was really important, too. So this provided for both. Um, so this was, was the law, and... We probably wouldn't want to have a law today like that, but they had it for then. And so everybody understood it. Some people there probably were in the midst of this, living out this, this principle. So here's the question. Well, suppose there are seven brothers. Now, this is hypothetical. This isn't real. You're making this up. The oldest one married and then died without children. So his brother married the widow, just like the law said. So, good so far? So far. So good. Then the second brother also died, and the third brother married her. Again. But this went on through all seven son, uh, brothers. Um, and then, of course, the lady dies, right? The woman dies. So, got the, they fulfilled the law seven times. The lady dies, evidently without an heir. And then they pose this question. Here's the question. Question. (laughs) So tell us, whose wife will she be in the what? Good question, right? If you're if you're a Sadducee, 
for all seven were married to her. Of course, you don't believe in a resurrection anyway, so kind of a silly question. But maybe it's part of the way they were trying to trap him. I don't know. Now, the reason they didn't believe in a resurrection was because they didn't think you could find the resurrection in the, the first five books of the Old Testament. That's what they, they're basically their Bible. The Pharisees did believe in it because they believed you could find it in the whole Old Testament. <clears throat> and then Jesus punches them in the stomach. We don't comprehend so much this response of his. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. What was their, what was their job? <laughs> 24-7, they did what? They studied the scriptures. So this is the biggest insult you could give to them. You don't know the scriptures. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's all we do. We've, in fact, they memorize huge parts of it. If somebody told me, that, oh, somebody's a college professor. Students can memorize stuff and still not understand it, right? We've all done that. That's exactly here. And he says, you don't know the power of God. Now, I didn't put it in your, in your outline, but if you read the rest of the text, it says he shows them how you can find the resurrection in the first five books of the Old Testament. He says, God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wait, even before Moses. Not I was the God of. And if I'm the God of them now, they must be what? They must be existing or alive, we would say, in, in heaven. Now, what's the response of the crowd? When they heard him, they were astonished at his teaching. They never heard anything like this. And they certainly didn't see the, here, the Pharisees and the Sadducees put down. And that's what's happening. And Jesus was teaching a gospel of, of freedom and, the, and Judaism was a, was a, a, a faith of uh, putting a burden upon you. So, Pharisees failed, Sadducees failed, so the Pharisees weren't going to give up. So they were going to take another shot at Jesus. So, continue on in the text. The Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply. They met together to question him again. So, they said, let's get our smartest guy to ask him a question. They call him an expert in religious law. Next verse. <clears throat> again, again, the goal isn't to get a good answer. The goal is to trap Jesus into something they could, he, the crowd would, would stop following him, possibly even get him arrested, break the law. So they tried to trap him with this question. This part's pretty familiar to most of you. Most of us have been to church for a while. Said, teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, they had over 600 laws. Of course, we know that most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. He said, okay, one of them must be more important than the others. Now, this was actually, the answer to this question was already actually taught in Sunday school, whatever, in, in, their, in, their, in their synagogues. So probably every child knew the answer to this question. This is kind of strange that this man would ask Jesus this question. But he had ulterior motives, of course. So Jesus replied with the Traditional answer, a quote from their Bible, their Old Testament. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So far, so good. Now, before, evidently, before, well, let's read the next verse. He calls this the first and the greatest commandment. But before the guy could evidently propose his second follow-up question, Jesus throws in the next verse, which says there's a second well, I asked for the first one. He said, well, I can't give you one. I can only get bullet down to two. But that's a lot better than 600. The second one is equally important. I'm telling it to you second, but it's just as important as the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a radical shift because in most religions of the world, 
Um, it's based on a relationship with God. You're thinking about worship and, and relating to God. And he's saying, okay, <laughs> we're going to shift the focus on how you relate to one another. And we believe if you're a Jesus follower, you and God are good. So what God wants you to focus on is pleasing him. And the best way you can please me as a parent is to treat my kids good well, right? And so that's what basically what God's saying to him. But it's interesting because you can see it in Christianity, unfortunately, but in other religions too, that you can be a, appear to be a godly person and not be a very nice person. And probably some of you have met people like that. And some of you maybe have a problem with Christianity because you've met some people like that. And the thinking is this. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. I get money. I go out and even help church dig holes out and for, for, for the pavilion. But I'm just a nasty person. I'm not nice to people. I'm not nice to my spouse. I'm not nice to my kids. I'm not nice, nice to other people. And if you question that person, they say, no, God and I are good. You know, our Christianity, that, that, there is a way to, to believe that, right? Well, you know, I accepted Jesus. Stepped across that line. I've been forgiven. God and I are good. Well, you may think you are, but God doesn't think you are. <laughs> doesn't think I am. So then he says this. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So, okay. So you're reading through the Old Testament. A lot of it's confusing. Hard to understand. But he's basically saying this. <clears throat> it boils down to these two things. So whatever else you may see, it's love God and love your neighbor. That's a lot of other stuff in there. But love God and love your neighbor. Now, it doesn't seem to be a problem with this, right? Well, there is a problem. Because in Judaism, who's your neighbor? A fellow Jew. Now, if I asked you who your neighbor is, you'd say to people who live close to you. But in Judaism, your neighbor was a fellow Jew. So Jesus had a tackle that problem and we call it the parable of the good Samaritan we don't have time to go over it this morning but uh, a Jew is beaten up and two religious Jewish leaders uh, didn't help him and then a Samaritan who the Jews hated came along and helped this guy out and I don't think that Samaritans like the Jews much either so it's pretty amazing this guy would do this then Jesus asked the guy the question said who was the neighbor to the man that was robbed and he wouldn't say Samaritan. He said, the one that showed him mercy. So now we got a new definition of neighbor, right? It's not somebody like you. It's not a fellow Jew. And uh, put, a, put the next slide up on the screen. Here's the definition of what it is. Love for God is best demonstrated, authenticated, and demonstrated, authenticated, illustrated by love for those who are nothing like you. Because that's what a Jew would think of a Samaritan. And may not even like you, or you like them. So now we're going to get to the Passover. Last week we talked about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. That would have been an agonizing thing, an embarrassing thing. Then they celebrate the Passover together. And then Jesus is going to give this new commandment. Now the interesting thing about this is now he's declaring himself a lawgiver. And the only person that can give laws is who? God. Now Moses gave the law, but it didn't originate with Moses. Moses just passed it on. So Jesus is saying, I'm God. I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now I'm not sure if they thought, well, this is, we got two, is this three, or is this over, override the other two? And I think it overrides the other two. So here it is. I'm giving you a new commandment. And here it is. Most of you are probably familiar with this. But this was new. This was radical. This was different. 
Love each other just as I have loved you. So this is bigger than the, than the golden rule, right? <laughs> this is, you know, do unto others as you have them do unto you. You're going to treat people not just like how you want to be treated. You're going to treat people like I, Jesus, treat, treat, have treated and have, are treating you. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And we sometimes think of a love as an emotion. There's an emotional component to it. But what we're talking about is action, right? Things you do. Sacrificial action in this case. So I can imagine him going to Matthew. Matthew, remember when I came and asked you to come follow me? You were a tax collector, hated by everybody, didn't have many friends, uh, didn't feel good about yourself. Matthew, you'd be as gracious to other people as I was to you. Peter, Peter, you didn't care for Matthew came and joined us. <laughs> you complained about that a little bit. One point when I started talking about my body and all that stuff and blood, you were ready to unfollow like a lot of other people. But I didn't unfollow you, so you'd be gracious to other people. Nathaniel, you, you dissed my whole, my whole culture. You said nothing good can come from, <laughs> from Nazareth. And that's where I'm from. And I was gracious to you, and you've been one of my followers. You've been one of my disciples. Be that gracious to other people. And they hadn't seen anything yet because what was going to happen within the next 24 hours? He's going to suffer and die on a cross for them. Sacrificial love. So he says, this is the new commandment, overrides everything else. You are to love each other like I love you. And then he says this, your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciples. Oh, isn't it that I go to church? <laughs> that I carry a Bible around, a cross around my neck? No, 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 no. None of those things prove. You can do all those things and not love God, right? How can I tell if you love God? I can't tell if you love God. He said, we're gonna, we need proof. People need to know <laughs> that you love God and you're serving God and you're one of Jesus' followers. And the way you're going to prove it to everyone is the way you love one another. Again, we've talked about this over and over in this new thing, of new, new, new movement of Jesus, that it's less complicated. Now we've got one rule, right? Got to just follow one rule. That seems like that should be easy. <laughs> what could be harder? What could be more demanding than loving one another like Jesus loved us? And we like rules because with rules we have loopholes. Right? All right. All, I don't know if we have any teenagers in here. We've got a few. Uh, can you remember being a teenager? Your parents said, clean your room. And you did, three hours later, you, they said, why didn't you clean your room? And you said, I'm going to. What? You didn't say I had to have it done in, you know, one hour. Oh, be home about 10 o'clock. You get home at 11 o'clock. I told you to be home around 10 o'clock. It's around 10 o'clock. It just happens to be 11 o'clock. Well, anytime you have a rule, you can find a loophole, right? So he's saying, instead of what the Bible says, because when the Bible says this, pastors get to ask this question all the time. Is, the, is it okay to do this? Does the Bible say I can do this? The funniest one for me was years and years ago. A lady got saved and she said, can, can, can my family and I still play cards? I said, well, it's not in the book, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so it's no more what the Bible says. It's what, what? What's the guideline? Love as Jesus loves you. And here's the deal. I almost always know what love requires of me, don't I? <clears throat> no loophole. <sighs> not what the law requires. 
There's a line there, and I can get around it. And so the rest of the New Testament is pretty much an application of this principle. So I'm just going to read a couple real quick, and we're almost out of time. Uh, Paul wrote most of the rest of the New Testament. So here's an application of love one, just as I have loved you. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So why be kind? God was, Jesus kind to you? Jesus tenderhearted? Jesus forgive you? We should... I know we do. We have trouble forgiving people, but we shouldn't. No matter what anybody's done to you or to someone else. Because God has forgiven you everything. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter. Love is patient. Is God patient with you? (sighs) Amazing how patient God is with us, right? Kind. Not jealous, boastful, proud, doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. That gets me. Every time I read that one, <laughs> I tend to get irritable. Uh, it keeps no record of being wronged. We just tell a couple. You ever have an argument with your spouse or someone else? You know, a couple years ago when you, no, 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 no. This is about now, not a couple years ago. No record. See, there's no wiggle room in this, right? How can I be irritable? I can't be irritable. There's no wiggle room. Uh, another verse, Philippians chapter 2. You must have the same attitude, approach, mindset that Christ Jesus had. And that's the love sacrificial. It's about relationships. Uh, another verse, Ephesians, that's just about finished. Imitate God, therefore, in everything because you are dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Here's the example. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. So Jesus' new covenant command is what? Next slide. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And initially this was appalling. And to, to be, make yourself last instead of first. People rejected that. I want to have power. I want to be first. But eventually it became appealing. What's more appealing than sacrificial love? Somebody dying for you. And eventually became contagious, spread to the whole Roman Empire. So again, this new command, we'll end with this, back in John 13. He's with his disciples for the last time. And he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I loved you. You should or must love each other. And this is proof to the world, you're my disciples. They got it right in the first century. Turn the world upside down. I believe we can get it right now. And if we get it right today, it'll turn the world upside down again. Let me pray with you. Hopefully you can join us next couple of weeks as we're headed toward the resurrection and Easter. Father God, thank you. We thank you for this teaching of Jesus that really makes Christianity simple but almost impossible to do. And that's why we need your grace and we need your help. We need your mercy. But God, let's, let's take up this challenge. Rather than saying, I can't do that, Let's try and do it. I think that's what you want us to do. And for those here that may not be Jesus followers, we just hope they understand how much you loved them. That you died on a cross for them. This as much as for me. It's a gift. God is an invitation to join his family. Have your sins forgiven. Establish a relationship with Almighty God and then eventually spend eternity with him. Thank you, Jesus. God, just do your work in our hearts this morning. Let us be that kind of neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen.